Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn again tonight in the Word of God to Revelation chapter 7, reading from the verse number 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth in the throne shall dwell among them. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, and neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Revelation chapter 7, a part of the opening of the sixth seal, is giving us an insight into the glorified church. The vision is really confirming and proving old truths that have been taught throughout the Scriptures if I can very quickly summarize these people, they are, first of all, accounted people. From God's perspective, the number is 144,000. That number, again, that is symbolic, that speaks of the completion of the tribes of Israel, again, pointing forward to the completion of all of God's people. And the thought here is that none of God's elect are missing on that day. God has completed the work of redemption in each and every one safely, gathered in, sealed with the name of God upon their foreheads, not hurt by the wrath of God, but safe around the throne of God, accounted people. Praise God again for the reality that God's redemption is not subject to chance, nor is subject to the failure of men to believe the gospel. God's gospel cannot fail. His purposes will not fail. He will indeed save all that he intends to save. Accounted people. Secondly, and connected, they are a covenantal people. You see, from man's perspective, this is a multitude which no man could number. Oh yes, God knows those who are his. God knows each and every one of his. But from man's perspective, this multitude cannot be numbered. That points us back to the promises made to Abraham of old. They are as the stars in the heavens. They are the sand upon the shore. From man's perspective, they cannot number. Now, can God number the stars? 
Of course he can. He made each and every one of the stars. Can God number the sand? Of course he can. Nothing is too hard for our God. But from man's perspective, this is an innumerable company. Verse number 9. I beheld and lo, great multitude which no man could number. A multitude from every nation. All nations, kindreds, and people and tongues standing before the throne. All of this reminds us this is a people counted in the covenant They are the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in whose seed, that is Christ, all nations shall be blessed. This is a Christ-believing company. A company that are the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that in Christ these nations are blessed and blessed forevermore. Thirdly, we could say they are converted people. Verse number 14 refers to them having washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The Scripture reminds us that they are by nature sinners. They are filthy in the sight of God, and their great need was cleansing. And that cleansing is only found in the blood of the Lamb. But they are converted, for they are taken from their sin. They are taken from death unto life, from darkness to light. And so by faith they believe in the blood of the Lamb. Their hope and confidence is in the blood of Christ. Hence they are cleansed. They are this converted people, taken from darkness into light. And thirdly, or fourthly, sorry, fourthly, they are a conquering people. Verse 14 again, these are they which came out of great tribulation. They are the overcomers. And takes us back to chapter 2 and 3, where the churches are encouraged to be overcomers, not to succumb to the tendencies in the world to fall back and to fall away. Though this world brings many challenges, the overcomers are those who by faith in Christ press on to the end and are saved. They are those who endure. They are the endurers, the overcomers. They are a conquering people. It reminds us again that the faith that God gives us is a faith that God keeps in us. Though at times we feel our weakness, by the power of God we will not succumb to unbelief. Though at times unbelief may rise up as a remaining sin, the people of God cannot ultimately fall away. Their faith is kept strong by God. Hence they persevere through challenges that, humanly speaking, no man could possibly overcome. A counted people, a covenantal people, a converted people, a conquering people, and fifthly, a consecrated people. Verse number 15, Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. Why has God saved this company? So that they would be worshippers around the throne. That's why God saves us. This people, this company, they are really a richly blessed people. Blessed in time, and indeed blessed forevermore. And it is these blessings I want to consider uh, with you tonight. Let's look at them very, very briefly. First of all, note how God dwells with them. He that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. What a blessing that is. Then you see that they will know nothing of hunger or thirst anymore. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. That's a blessing, isn't it? And then there's a blessing of not, or the sun not harming them, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. There's a blessing again. And the blessing also of God wiping away every tear. That's there in verse number 17. 
And so these blessings could be, could be listed, the presence of God, God dwelling with them, the provision of God, lacking nothing. They lack nothing because the Lamb will feed them and lead them, verse 17. Therefore they will not hunger nor thirst. Uh, just in passing, the word for feed there in verse 17 is the word to shepherd. And so it's a fascinating imagery that the Lamb is a shepherd. How wonderful, the lamb that was slain, also the shepherd that leads us and feeds us and guides us into living fountains of waters. This is Christ, of course, and so we are provided for by Christ. There is the presence of God, the provision of God, the protection of God, and neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat, and then the perfection that God brings. Verse number 17, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Perfection. You see, you turn across, please, to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. And you'll see again the promise here in a fuller form. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So here you see that this promise of God wiping away all tears is the promise of final perfection. You see, tears here are looked upon as a negative. Tears that come as a result of the fall. Now, tears, of course, can be tears of joy, tears of happiness. But here the tears are caused by death and sorrow and pain. Isn't that the sense that we have in verse number 4 of chapter 21? These tears are being caused as the righteous face the consequence of the fall. Don't we know this? Don't we feel this? Don't our tears come? What's the cause of death? Is it not the fall? What's the cause of sorrow in this world? Is it not the effect of sin in the world? What's the cause of our grief and our crying? Is it not sin in the world? What's the cause of pain? Is it not sin in the world? All of these things are brought about by sin. But the promise, the promise of perfection here is the promise of all things being made new, the former things passing away in the new heavens and the new earth, wherein doth righteousness, a place of absolute perfection. And therefore the tears are wiped away because there will be no cause for those tears anymore. The tears cannot come. Every consequence of sin removed through the work of Christ and his victory over everything that Adam brought about by his fall into sin. Our second Adam is the one who brings all of these things to pass. All things made new. Praise his name. And so you have these blessings that are mentioned here God's presence, His provision, the protection and perfection, they're all mentioned here. But what I wanted to think about this evening is that these blessings are the fullness of gospel blessings. They are not new blessings known by the redeemed in heaven. They are the fullness of blessings we already know. And that's what I want you to appreciate tonight. There, We could look at this in different ways. But I think there's tremendous edification by considering again that these blessings are but the finality and the fullness of things that we already enjoy in Christ Jesus. You think of these. First of all, note the dwelling of God. Verse 15, He that sitteth in the throne shall dwell among them. This word to dwell has the sense of to encamp or to tent. And some of the commentators give it the, the idea that it is a reference to the tabernacle. 
He that sitteth in the throne shall tabernacle among them. The same word is used, of course, for Christ in John 1.14, the word made flesh, and dwelt, the same word, tabernacled among us. And of course, that connection with the tabernacle is, is very well made. Turn back to Exodus chapter 29. And there you have the promises all about, again, the, the consecration of the priests and, uh, and God coming amongst the people. And it says there in verse 45, And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God and brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And so in typical form here, we see the purpose of redemption is that God would dwell among people. And that was his purpose, and that was enjoyed by the people of God in the Old Covenant. Of course, we have that in, in the instructions for the tabernacle, chapter 25 of Exodus, verse 22. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seats. And so we, we, we understand the types here. Through the shedding of blood, the people are redeemed from Egypt. And they're, they're brought into the place where they can meet with God, and God will meet with them. And that meeting takes place above the mercy seat, upon the work of Christ. And so all of these things, they point forward to Christ's work. And therefore, if we are already enjoying the blessing of Christ's work in part, then God already dwells among us. And what we see in heaven is the fullness of that blessing. God dwelling without any hindrance of sin in our part. You see that reference, you go across now to Ezekiel chapter 37, and you'll see again the promises here, the covenantal promises pertain to God going to bless and to dwell amongst his people. In verse 26, it says there, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I'll place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them, yet I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, this is a promise in part to the restoration of the people of God from the captivity. But we understand very clearly this goes way beyond the captivity. You've got verse number 24. And David my servant shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. We understand that's fulfillment in Christ. Not a resurrected David, but a resurrected David. A son of David resurrected and taken the throne of David, namely Christ himself. And you've got verse number 25 there. Again, the promises, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. And so this is pointing forward to the promise of God that he will dwell with them forevermore, as Christ is their king. But the covenantal reference here, a covenant of peace, an everlasting covenant, in the book of Hebrews, points us to Christ and to his blood. And those blessings are ours in part now. And so the encouragement I have for you is when you look towards heaven and rightly long for heaven, you should also remember that you know this blessing in part even now. Christ does come, and we truly know his presence. Those of you who are redeemed, you understand that you know Christ is present because you hear his word. You, you hear him speaking to you in the word. You understand in life that his ear is open to your cries, that he listens to you. You know his presence. You've even known his comforting touch at times. As he's come along in times of need and even through the people of God come and blessed you richly. 
And so the Lord says to the disciples, Lo, I am with you always. You don't wait for heaven. I'm with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. When two or three gather, I'm there in the midst. Christ is with us now. God dwells among us in the church. We have that blessing. And a rich blessing it is. That's the blessing of God's dwelling. What about the blessing of God's shepherding? Again, I mentioned to you Revelation chapter 7, the word that's used there at the end of the portion. The lamb in the midst shall feed them. Does Christ only begin to shepherd us in glory? Is that, when, is that when the blessing of Christ's work begins for us in that regard? Of course not. We sang the paraphrase of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Not will be, but is presently. The Lord shall lead and guide me. We have the promises of the rod and staff being with us. Even though we're in the valley of the shadow of death, there is our blessed shepherd with us in such a place. He is our shepherd. So turn please to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49. Just a fascinating reference here to the work of Christ as our shepherd. Isaiah 49. And verses 9 and 10. And you read this, you see the present reality, I trust, of the Lord's work. Listen to the language, how, how familiar this is. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that have mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highway shall be exalted. Here's the promises of God. And so you go back again to the previous verses. The promise of covenant, verse number 8. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. Do you know where that verse is quoted? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse number 2. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. In other words, Paul is saying, Isaiah 49 is true in the new covenant church before they get to glory. Christ shepherds them, and so he that hath mercy on them shall lead them. What a blessing this is. And we are not waiting for it. We enjoy it in part, and we're waiting for the consummation. And so we are safe Right now, dear child of God, you are safe in the shepherd's hand. John chapter 10 is true for you now. The shepherd has loved his sheep, given his life for the sheep, and none shall snatch you from the shepherd's hand. Praise God. Right now you hear his voice and follow. He is not a shepherd to come. He's a shepherd now for your soul. And this is your blessing. And so, as the shepherd, he hence provides for us they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The promises of Revelation chapter 7, of course, they're referred to by Christ in John's gospel, John chapter 6. John 6 in the verse number 35. And again, we think of the present reality of these things. John 6, 35. Christ, of course, a different metaphor here. John 6, 35. The Lord says, I am their bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. 
promised for us now. It's not that one day that will come to pass, but rather your life is sustained by Christ now. That's the picture here, you see. Bread and water, the essentials for life to sustain life. And the point is, Christ is the one who gives himself to sustain our lives. And the minute we believe, the promise comes from Christ that we will never, ever fail to be sustained by Christ. There is no possibility of the one who trusts in Christ ever falling away. You see, that's the picture. When you get the glory and you see the fullness and you see this new heavens and new earth, you see the company around the throne, never hungering, never thirsting. What it says to us, there cannot be a second fall. There's no possibility of the people of God falling back into sin because Christ is their life and eternal life is sustained by Christ himself. But that reality does not begin in heaven. It begins for the child of God when they first come to Christ. So you've got these blessings. The blessings of, again, the God, or God dwelling with them. The blessing of Christ shepherding them. What are the blessings of God protecting them? That's the reference, verse number 16. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. Now, where I come from, the sun and the heat are looked upon as good things. But of course, in the Eastern culture, they were very, very dangerous, bringing dehydration, uh, severe effects upon someone to the point they could lose their lives. And so we have the promises in the Word of God, don't we? You think of the promise of Psalm 121? And you turn back to Psalm 121, remind yourself of those promises. The Lord is thy keeper, the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. So again, do you see what is known by the saints in heaven is in part known by you now. You still have the protection of God preserving your soul from all evil. And the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Although this world and the heat of this world may beat upon us with such an intensity that we feel we're about to wilt, we have the promise of God coming as our shade, protecting us from the fierceness of this world's rays. Protection. Fourthly, comforting. The idea of God wiping away all tears from our eyes. This action is an action of such tenderness. To wipe someone's tears away, you've got to close to them. They've got to trust you. There's a loving relationship there. There's a compassionate relationship. It's an act of tremendous tenderness and compassion. That is known in fullness then, but also in part even now. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there, therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. And the point's not in doubt. Paul is saying there is consolation in Christ. It's the word again connected to the word for the comforter, the paraclete, the advocate. And the point is that in Christ already there is comfort. Already. When we weep because of the effects of the fall, Christ comes along with gospel promises and takes those tears away. Even now we enjoy this. Not in fullness, but in truth and in part. 
Hence the Lord has given us, according to 2 Thessalonians, has given us everlasting consolation. The comfort we have. Of course, the Lord does this by His Word, often by His saints coming alongside and encourage us in the things of grace. The Lord comforts us. And so when you look at this scene, oh yeah, rejoice. Rejoice in what you see in the fullness of redemption. Rejoice in what is enjoyed even now by loved ones who have gone to be with Christ. Rejoice in these things. See the riches of the blessing. See the glory of the blessings. And long for glory. Long for glory tonight. For is it not true that now we know in part? Is it not true that now we see through a glass darkly? And so, yes, we we understand these blessings in part now, but what we know now, it's it's just infinitesimally small compared to the glory that shall be revealed. Oh, the wonders that we'll know in Christ Jesus. We should long for more of Christ, long for more of our shepherd's presence. We we should long for the end of every painful consequence of the fall. We we should long for heaven and home. Those those things should intensify the longing within our souls. In the meantime, thank the Lord that we do see in part. Thank the Lord that we do know something of these things and long and pray for gospel blessings. Heaven is the fullness of joy, but the joy begins on earth. And so take time to pray for God to bless you, to bless you with his presence, with his provision, with his direction, with his leading, with his comfort, his consolation. Pray these things before the throne of grace today and say, Lord, these are mine in Christ Jesus. These are mine in covenant. These have been purchased by Christ's blood. Make them mine today. May I know this blessing in part today. Those are good prayers. And as you pray them for yourself, pray them for your family. Pray them for your friends and your loved ones, your neighbors. Pray that others who come to know these blessings. It's an awful thing, isn't it? When you contemplate these blessings and you think about the opposite. Think of the opposite of those who will die out of Christ. The Lord says, depart from me. They'll hunger and thirst forevermore in torment. They'll know nothing but the fierceness of the wrath of God in the fiery hell. They have no lamb, shepherd, leading and feeding them. They know nothing but tears, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. What a fearful thing it is to go out of this world lost and undone. How it ought to burden our souls that we see the awful consequence of living outside of Christ and the blessings of those who are in Christ. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. 
We preach Christ crucified.